All right. Good morning, Pursuit. I see a lot of laughter. There are some really good answers out there, I'm sure. I, um, I was thinking about, about my answer to it, but I just thought I would share the opposite side. It's, it's a time that you guys and anyone in the world could feel free to judge me. I am a Costco lover. Any other Costco lovers in the room? Like, I just feel, I feel really at peace when I walk into a Costco and I just let the spirit move me, usually to the clothing section. And you know you've hit, like, a new stage of adulthood. I turn 30 next month. You know you hit that new stage of adulthood when, like, 90% of your wardrobe is from Costco. And, like, people ask you, they're like, where'd you get your pants? You're like, oh, Costco, you should go get them, right? And you start, like, being Costco's hype girl. So, so I love Costco. Um, I also have a need to, like, prove that I love Costco but not too much. And so I went in one day, and I went in without a cart because I needed to show everyone that I could restrain and control myself in Costco. And, uh, and you know, I'm walking through, and I'm like, I'm just going to get a few clothing items, maybe, like, something easy to carry. And I spot that kombucha is on sale, and it's, like, $6 off, which is a really good deal. And so I grab it, and I'm like, I can do this. I <laughs> I got this and I make it all the way to checkout and I check out and I step like right outside of the doors to Costco and it just hits the ground and just completely shatters and, and the woman looks at me and she has deadpans and she's like next time maybe you'll think about getting a cart and I was like I will but but and since then I, I like do get a cart even if I come up with nothing breakable right because that moment scarred me and you just felt like the judgment from her like she was like you think you're better than us really Um, And so, I mean, there are a ton of situations, right, where we feel so justified to judge the car in the ditch thing. When you're out to dinner with somebody and you've been at the restaurant before and they're like, I think I'm going to order X, Y, and Z. And you're like, oh, no, that's not very good. And they're like, oh, no, I, I bet it's good. I've had it at other places before. And they get in, they hate it. And you're like, that's right. Who knows the menu? I've been on Yelp. And so... There are so many situations where we feel justified to judge someone, right? Um, Well, now that I've shared all those confessions, my name is Caitlin. I'm one of the campus pastors at Bethel. I'm really excited to be back here. I'm really excited to be with you guys, and it's fun to have some Bethel Bethel family here. Um, I have an older brother. His name's Christian. Uh, He and his wife just had their first baby. I don't think they were even pregnant the last time I was here. She's adorable. I always say I'm not a baby person, but it turns out I'm an Edith person. Like, I just love her. She's incredible. Um, and when I was growing up, my brother was older than me, and I was the queen of deflecting, right? So he's two years older than me. We would get into, like, or three years older, two grades, and we would sometimes get into some trouble together, right? Um, it would usually be that, like, one person was antagonizing the other person, and I was that bratty little sister where, like, if he even bumped me, I would, like, rub my arm and make it really, really red, and then be like, he hit me. He hit me so hard, right? So I was really good at being the bratty little sister, and I was really good at deflecting, and when we'd both get in trouble for something, Usually it was that he was in the living room and I was in the kitchen doing homework and he was looking at me wrong and so we'd end up trading spars from across the room. And when we would get in trouble, I would be like, well, Christian, well, well, Christian did this. You didn't even see it. You didn't even see it. Or I'd be like, but what about what he did last Tuesday? You're not going to punish him for what he did last Tuesday? Or I'd be like, well, what's going to happen to him? And my parents would always look at me and they'd be like, we are not talking about Christian right now. Some of you parents know this phrase. We're not talking about Christian right now. We're talking about you. We're talking about you, right? I mean, the amount of times as a kid that I heard that phrase, and even as a college student, my brother and I went to the same college, and every once in a while, he would see me on campus with somebody he thought I shouldn't be hanging out with, or he'd see me on campus, you know, maybe doing something that he thought I shouldn't be doing, and he'd call my parents, and my parents would call me, and they'd be like, hey, 
you know, Christian is, is just worried about you. He said he saw you hanging out with this guy, and, you know, he has, he's, he's not a good guy. And I'd be like, well, Christian, you don't even know. Well, Christian did this, 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 and this, and this person was there. And, and I was just the queen of deflecting up until I went to seminary and became way more holy. Um, <laughs> I'm actually still pretty good at it. I, uh, I first shared that story publicly a few years ago. Uh, it was in the middle of some pretty contentious times in our nation. I was starting to see the, these troubling trends, right, of people just instead of having honest conversations or reflecting on themselves or reflecting on the ways that they had messed up or the ways that their business had fallen short, it was all about saying how bad the other person was and how terrible and how awful everything was over there on that side of the grass. And we just love to do that, don't we? Like we are hardwired for comparison. It started way back in the garden when Adam said, well, that woman, she did blah, blah, blah. And not much has changed since then. We're constantly searching to figure out where we are in light of everybody else in the world. I'm on social media, and every once in a while I'll see people tweet, you know, uh, yeah, our denomination might have its faults, but at least we're not this denomination. <laughs> yeah, no, our, our church might have messed up in that space, but at least it wasn't as bad at that, as that time when, or it'll be something like, yeah, you know, I, I might have made a mistake, but look, it could be a lot worse. At least I didn't murder anybody. At least I didn't do that. Yeah, yeah, I know, I know I sin, but at least I don't sin like that other person does. Or people will be like, thank God that I'm not that person because, man, they really messed it up, and I wouldn't have. We love casting blame and comparison and saying, yeah, I might be bad, but I'm not that bad. Whether, whether we do it out loud or whether we do it in ourselves, we are hardwired to act in that way in the world. And it's this behavior that Jesus starts to address towards the end of the Sermon on the Mount. So over the past few weeks, you guys have been diving into this passage, this beautiful passage that Jesus gives. And what I love is that these three chapters, they're recorded in Matthew and Jesus's life. And it starts with this. It says, now when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and he sat down. His disciples came to him and he began to teach them. This past fall, we did a series on the Sermon on the Mount at Bethel, and it wasn't until then that I realized that moment. I tend to think of the Sermon on the Mount as this public address, right? It's all these people who are interested or curious about who Jesus is, and it's all these people who are maybe just following along or or they're, they're trying to figure out what's going on and they want to know a little bit more about this Jesus. But the text is really clear that the primary people Jesus is talking to are his disciples, the one who have already started to buy in a little bit to the vision that Jesus is casting, the ones who are starting to think maybe he really is the Messiah. He's worth following. He's worth me putting my trust in. And it's to the disciples that Jesus is starting to teach. And yeah, maybe there was people on the hillside or people passing by or people listening. But Jesus' primary concern in that moment is the disciples. And so what follows is this absolutely beautiful teaching that you've been exploring The Beatitudes are contained within the Sermon on the Mount, the Blessed Rs, the instruction to be salt and light in a world that would hide us. This instruction that says, you've heard it said, but I tell you, where Jesus takes the Old Testament and he flips it and he says there's more to it than just following the law, that there's actually something deeper about who we are and our motivations and what we're aiming for here. The Lord's Prayer comes from the Sermon on the Mount and Jesus' instructions on not practicing our righteousness for the approval or affirmation of other people. And the instructions not to worry come from the Sermon on the Mount, where Jesus demonstrates the Lord's care for every living thing. The famous line of your father knows what you need before you ask him. 
Jesus is preaching on what life looks like in the kingdom of God, what it looks like when you're part of this firmly rooted kingdom that's a little upside down, that's a little bit backwards, that cares more about things that everybody else cares less about, that cares less about things that everybody else cares more about, this upside down kingdom where things are flipped on its head and we're invited to be a part of something different. And as you may have already picked up in the past few weeks, these passages are quoted really, really often. Not just in scripture, not just by Christians, but also by non-Christians, by other sources. These passages have become a crucial part of what it means to follow Jesus and it's become a crucial part of our language. And today's passage is no different. I like to think that this passage is where like the like only God can judge me came from, right? Like the classic thing that people say when you know you've been caught and you're like, well, only God can judge me, right? The other day I was with a friend of mine and, and she was like, I was telling her something and she said, oh, six months ago you said you were going to do that. And I like wanted to go all like Isaiah, forget the former things, don't dwell on the past, right? But internally I was like, whoa, you can't call me out on that, right? Only the Lord can call me out on that. There's this sort of idea that we have of, of you can't judge me. And I like to think that a lot of it comes from some, some twistings of this passage. And so if you have your scriptures with you this morning, would you open with the, me to Matthew chapter 7, whether it's on your phone or on the paper version? Uh, Matthew chapter 7, verses 1 through 7, Jesus says this to the disciples. He says, Do not judge, or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged, and with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, Let me take the speck out of your eye, when all the time there's a plank in your own eye, you hypocrite? First take the plank out of your own eye, And then you'll see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Do not give to dogs what is sacred. Do not throw your pearls to pigs. If you do, they may trample them under their feet, and then they'll turn and they'll tear you to pieces. It's this interesting passage that even on its first glance, you think, how could these two ideas ever be connected? And we're going to get there. You see, Jesus, throughout his ministry, spends a lot of time calling out the Pharisees for their judgmental, self-righteous attitudes. And I like to think that during those moments, the disciples and Jesus' followers were probably like golf clapping in the background. Like, yeah, get them, right? Get them, Jesus. Roast them. Because there's like this moment where the disciples are seeing these Pharisees who have walked through life being really judgmental, pretending like they have it all figured out. In fact, it's some of those same people, the religious leaders that Jesus is talking to when he says and calls them out for their judgment that had refused to allow some of the disciples to study under rabbis, right? Had deemed them not worthy enough. And so I'm sure there's moments in that process as Jesus is doing that, that the disciples are like, yes, absolutely, Jesus. They're the bad ones, right? But you have to remember that in this passage, Jesus is primarily talking to who? The disciples, And he's giving instructions on judgment to the disciples. It's one of the times in scripture when he turns to his disciples and warns them that they too, just like the Pharisees, are going to have a propensity to want to judge each other. And he adds a warning to the other extreme at the same time of not being judgment or of not showing discretion, of not worrying and caring about where we invest our energy. 
And so earlier in the Beatitudes, Jesus is speaking to the disciples and he says things like, blessed are the merciful for they will be shown mercy. And then he teaches them how to pray and he says, forgive us our debts as we forgive others. And this feels like an expansion on this teaching when we get into verses one and two when he says, don't judge or you too will be judged for in the same way you judge others, you will be judged and with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. This passage is a continuation of Jesus' earlier instructions to them. That because they've been people who have been shown great mercy and great grace, they should be people who also show great mercy and great grace. That they're not called to be people of judgment. And that because they've been given mercy, they should give mercy to one another. It's why when we pray the Lord's Prayer, we pray that prayer. Forgive us our debts as we forgive others. It's the call and the repetition and the reminder that we are designed and created to want to preserve relationships with each other, to want to walk in forgiveness with each other. And then Jesus goes on to use his background as a carpenter's son to reiterate again to them this. He says, why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and you pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How could you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when all the time there's a plank in your own eye, you hypocrite? First take the plank out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. So the instruction here is not this basic, don't ever judge, right? I mean, if that was the instruction, Jesus could have stopped in that very first section there, that first verse of chapter 7. But instead, he goes on to talk to them about what it looks like to see others rightly. It's easier for us to deflect and to point to another person than it is for us to reflect on ourselves, isn't it? It's so much easier, but it's not the way of Jesus. It's not what we are called towards. Back to the earlier story, it was easier for me my whole life to worry about what Christian did and what Christian's punishment would be than it was to accept that I had also fallen short and that there were things in my life that needed to be changed and amended. It's easier for us to point out the specks in our brother and sister's eye than to deal with the plank in our own eye, to recognize that there are ways in our own lives that we're falling short or that we're not meeting the standard, or or ways in our lives that sometimes one of my students said to me this past week, she said, I realize that the things I'm most irritated about about other people are actually the deepest insecurities I have. And I was like, how profound for an 18-year-old. Like, take my job, right? Because it's so true that often we will look at another person and we can name every single thing that they have done or will do wrong, right? All the ways that that they they live their life in a way that we wouldn't agree with or that we wouldn't do or or all the ways that maybe you're like, oh, you say you're a Christian bud and all of that. And yet it's harder for us to self-reflect and to have those moments of saying, where are the planks in our lives, but unless we deal with the plank in our eye, we judge one another wrongly because we can't see clearly. We can't see clearly. And, and I think that instead of then having a posture of humility, we create ourselves with a posture of defense. So we're looking at the speck in someone else's eye, maybe the one thing that we think that they do wrong or the one way that they're not quite sanctified yet or, or maybe the one thing that we think they're falling short on it. And we're looking at that and yet we can't actually see it in love because the whole time we're just praying they don't point at the plank in our own eye. And so instead we're calling it out and, and we're trying to tell them that they need to remove it, but we're like, but pay no attention to the plank in my eye, Right? And so we can't see clearly and we can't love well and we can't walk in humility because we haven't yet dealt with the way that our vision is wrong about ourselves too. In another part of the Gospels, Jesus emphasizes this point with a picture. He tells a parable to his disciples and it comes from Luke chapter 18 starting in verse 9. 
He says, to some who were confident in their own righteousness and looked down on everyone else, Jesus told this parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee, the other a tax collector. And, and in case you didn't know, I'm sure a lot of you guys know this, tax collectors were not the popular guys in Jesus' time. In fact, the disciples probably would have heard that and been like, okay, Pharisee, righteous, you know, maybe a little annoying, but overall good guy. Tax collector, oof, <laughs> bad guy terrible guy and they're both going to the temple together and and Jesus continues and he says the Pharisee stood by himself and he prayed God I thank you that I'm not like other people robbers evildoers adulterers or even like this tax collector here I fast twice a week I give a tenth of all I get but the tax collector stood off at a distance he would not even look up to heaven but he beat his breast and he said God have mercy on me a sinner He says, I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God, for all who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted, a backwards kingdom where the expectations are reversed, where it's not about how self-righteous we can be or how right we can be, but it's about how humble we can walk with God and each other, how much we can recognize in ourselves the ways that we still need grace and forgiveness and mercy and new opportunities and new chances. And it's only through doing that work first that we're ever able to say to somebody else, there's a speck. Can I help you get it out? Right? And, and think just even, even about that, that imagery that Jesus gives. He says, first remove the plank from your eye and then you can see the speck in someone else's eye. And I like to imagine, that's like for any of you guys that are parents, when your kid gets something in their eye, Imagine trying to do that with one eye completely covered and you're trying to get that out, right? I mean, that is a precise thing to do. And so once we remove the plank from our own eyes and we've had the opportunities to ask God for grace and forgiveness and mercy and to walk in new life and to walk in freedom, only then can we say to somebody, hey, there's a speck. Can I help you get it out? Can I walk with you? Can, can we talk about this? And it's only through that, that that we don't come with a posture of defensiveness, but we come with a posture of knowing how deeply forgiven we already have been and to invite other people into that same attitude. In a commentary I read in preparing for this week, the, the commentary author said this. He said, A mark of the discipleship community, which is our community, and the community that Jesus was speaking to, is the responsibility that disciples have to help one another remove the speck of sin from each other's lives but it has to come from a humble and self-examined life that's removed the plank of self-righteous judgment. Then restoration can occur with the right attitude. So it's not that we're not called to have those moments where we come to one another and, and humbly ask one another to walk with one another, to, to fix things, to make things right, to, to make things the way that they should be, but we're able to do it when we've done it for ourselves and with God first. We're not able to do it from a chair that's higher up than them, from, from a defensive posture, from I hope you don't see what's in my life posture. But when we've dealt with all of that, then we get the opportunity to be brothers and sisters that care for each other. I mean, man, I love that stage of life that I'm in right now with some of my friends where we've walked with each other and we've had moments of humility and moments of grace that when somebody says something, you can go, whoa, whoa, whoa. Where'd that idea come from? Or, or where'd that decision come from? And you can start to actually kind of talk about the real issue at hand, but you know you're doing it because you love each other, not because you want to prove how much better and how much right and how much further along in your faith walk you are than another person. 
And yet Jesus also warns his disciples about the opposite extreme, not just about overly judging or about judging without first dealing what's within ourselves, but he warns them about the opposite extreme in verses 6 through 7. He says, Do not give to dogs what's sacred. Don't throw pearls to pigs. If you do, they may trample them under their feet, and they'll turn and they'll tear you to pieces. I'm a dog lover. Dogs in the New Testament were different. Right? <laughs> I mean, I have, a, I have an 11-pound mini poodle, and she is the most domesticated thing on the planet. She stares at herself in the mirror. That's when I know that I got, like, a prissy dog, right? I mean, and, and dogs, that, as we picture them now, they're sweet, they're kind. But dogs in the New Testament were different. They weren't domesticated. They were just street dogs. I went on a trip a few years ago, and I love dogs too much, and they had to hold me back as we were walking down the road sometimes because I'd be like, there's a puppy, and they were like, don't touch the puppy. And I was like, but it's a puppy. And like, I read stories, right, about people who like go to the Olympics and they come back with a dog. I'm like, I can do that, right? But, but dogs, even then in the New Testament, they were even worse. I mean, these dogs were just scavenging. They were running around the streets. They, they, they weren't responsible for anything. They weren't domesticated. They would tear things apart. They would eat whatever they found. They were ravenous. And pigs in the New Testament, they weren't cute, They weren't going to have their own little Instagram account sitting in teacups. Pigs in the New Testament were mean. If you, I mean, it's like, it's like the thing, how many of you guys have seen Wizard of Oz, right? Dorothy like falls in the pig pen and everybody panics. It's because pigs are really mean. If, if you have a pig and the pig is not domesticated, the pig is wild like they were in the New Testament, they will eat whatever they find, including human flesh, I mean, they are just evil, evil suckers. They are not kind. And so Jesus is saying to them, he says, don't give to dogs these things that are roaming, that are looking for things to just take and scavenge, and and don't throw your pearls to pigs, these things that will destroy you. And he says, if you do, they'll trample them under their feet, and they'll turn and they'll tear you to pieces. Jesus is saying to his disciples that on the other extreme of his earlier instructions, there will be people that no matter how many times you come to them, they will not accept your message. No matter how many times you go and you say, hey, can, can we talk about this? Hey, can, can we fix this? Hey, can I tell you about grace? Can I tell you about a new opportunity? Can I tell you about mercy? And they'll say, no, 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 no. And Jesus is instructing them that there are times when you have to step back and relent. It's like those videos of kids trying wasabi for the first time. And they're always like, it's avocado. And the mom and dad are like, it's not avocado. And they're like, it's avocado. They're like, it's not avocado. And finally, the parents are like, fine, <laughs> eat the avocado, right? And, and, and they learn and they experience it through it. You see, sometimes the most loving thing we can do is to let someone learn. And, and that's what Jesus' instructions are here, right? That there are times where we go and we have to point out the speck and somebody's receptive to it. They're our brother and they're our sister. And there are other times where he says, don't throw your pearls to swine. Don't, don't cast what's precious to dogs, And he's instructing his disciples just like he does earlier where he says, sometimes you're going to go into a village and they won't accept your message. Shake the dust off your feet. Don't don't stand there. Shake the dust off your feet and go to the next town. That the message is too important to continue to try to throw it to things that would just tear you apart. You see, I think all of this in Jesus' instructions leads us to two questions. The first one is, how's your vision? How's your vision? Have you dealt with the plank in your eye? And for some of us, this is such a big question. This is such a big question in my life sometimes. There are moments where where I'll be feeling really angry in a week, and I'll need to sit down with the Lord and by myself and say, Lord, what's going on inside my heart right now? 
that I'm feeling really angry or, or why am I feeling so anxious when you've instructed me to not worry about this? Lord, why, why am I doing this repeatedly? God, why is, is this so easy in this stage of my life right now? How's your vision? Have you dealt with the plank in your eye? Just the other day, I was having a moment with the Lord, and I said, Lord, I just want you to repulse me for things that aren't yours, right? Because it's easy for us to continue going back and back and back, and we have to sometimes sit with the Lord and say, Lord, remove the plank from my eye. What am I not seeing in my life? What's the pattern in my life right now? What am I tempted to ignore and not deal with with you? God, what, what am I convinced I can't trust you with, and so I'm holding on to it and refusing to give it up? God, what's the pattern in my life that, that doesn't actually model the life that you've called me to live, of flourishing? Where, where am I not flourishing in my life because I'm choosing to embrace something that's actually hurting me? God, where's the plank in my eye? And, and maybe for us, the, the plank might even be that self-righteous judgment where you're like, I can't think of a single thing, right? But every day, we each have something that we can continue to walk with the Lord in. Whether it's big or whether it's small, it's worth us walking with Jesus. And the second question within that is, are you willing to point out the speck? Man, more and more, like I said, I turned 30 next month. I, I found myself a lot in my early 20s when, when close friends would say something, right? Because there's a difference, right, as we talk about the throwing pearls to swines and all of that. When close friends would say something and I would feel like, oh, I don't want to jeopardize this friendship. And so maybe I shouldn't say anything. Or, or they'd say something, I'd be like, ah, oh, maybe I'll just let them think that. Or, or, you know, I don't want to tell them what to do because we all have the freedom. And yet, are you willing to point out the speck once you've already dealt with the plank in your eye? Are you willing to point out the speck in another person's eye and to walk with them and to say, here's the work that the Lord's done in my life and in my heart. I removed a whole plank from my eye this past week. Can I help you with your speck? And then the second question is, where are you throwing what's sacred to dogs? Where are you wasting your kingdom impact? Where are the spaces where you maybe just need to keep praying, right? You don't, you don't withdraw completely as Christians, but you just need to keep praying. And you need to brush your feet and move on to the next town. Where are the places where it feels like I just keep throwing and throwing and throwing and I'm getting trampled or I'm getting torn apart? And the Lord wants our flourishing. And so he invites us to live in this tension between not being too judgmental and yet at the same time not staying when we're getting trampled to death. And instead, continuing to pray, continuing to care, but being wise where we're investing our kingdom impact. To close, um, in seminary, I got glasses for the first time in my life. I um, had always really wanted glasses, and then when I got them, it wasn't that fun. And, uh, and I was really bummed out when I started to realize I was sitting in class one day, and I was sitting in the back of the room, and I started to realize, wow, the board looks a little blurry, <laughs> That probably shouldn't be, and I kept going for a few weeks because I really didn't want glasses, and so I was like, oh, it's all right, I'll just squint a little bit, and, and then I would come out of class with headaches at the end of every day, and I'm like, oh, it's okay, I'll just take some Excedrin, right? And finally, I had to own up to the fact that there was something wrong with my, like, physical vision, and it was small, right? Like, I always joke, like, I feel bad having glasses because it's such a small prescription. I feel like a baby. I'm like, okay, thank you. I'll put on these glasses. Um, And when I got them, I remember, though, I walked out of the optometrist office, and I put on this new pair of glasses, and I never realized you could see the individual leaves on trees. I thought everybody just saw, like, kind of blurry masses of leaves. I thought that was common. And and I remember crying, (laughs) I'm in the parking lot. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just own it. I'm a little bit of a crier, so it shouldn't actually be that surprising. But I remember just crying and thinking, oh, my gosh, this whole time 
I've missed out on seeing individual leaves because I just wanted to hold off on getting glasses. And, and as I think about even our spiritual lives, I think sometimes we almost want to like hold off on fixing the plank in our eyes because it, it feels comfortable to have it there, right? We figured out how to live with it. But it's only by doing that that we actually get to see the full beauty of the Christian life, of getting to walk with each other of getting to, to help sanctify each other. That's the process we're invited to. That's the process Jesus invited his disciples into. That's what he did for his disciples. When they would say things or do things or encounter things that ran contrary to his teachings, he would walk with them lovingly, help them to see the right way. And, and he knew where to invest his kingdom impact. It's the lovely, beautiful side that once we get our vision right, we get to live into. So let's pray this morning. God, you are good. God, I always want to start my prayers that way because you are good. And it's so easy for us to underestimate or to quantify or, or to, to try to, to explain or describe your goodness in ways that don't just embrace, wow, you are really, really good. And because you're good, you walk with us. God, because you're good, you don't leave us to our own devices. You invite us to walk with you. And God, we live in a world where it's so easy for us to cast dispersion on the other side or, or in, in relationships for us to say, yeah, I might have something to work on, but they really need to work on this. Or, um, God, and for us to quantify our sin and, and for us to say, yeah, this might be bad, but it's not as bad as this. And, um, but God, you call us to a life of humility with you and with others. God, you call us to walk with you. God, you want to remove planks from our eyes that we can see specks more clearly so that we can actually reach down and help get them out for our brothers and our sisters. And so, God, I pray that this morning, the things that we've held on to that have just become a comfortable part of our vision, that we start to release them to you. God, that we remove the plank from our eye. God, that the, the things that, whether it's um, our own self-righteous judgment or whether it's the things that we've held on to, that we've said, oh, I can't reveal that because if I do reveal that, then it's going to impact this relationship. God, that we would start to actually remove the planks that are in our eyes, that we can have a real relationship with each other and see each other clearly. And God, as we do, would you invite us to walk with one another in humility, God, to, to help remove the speck from each other's eyes. God, that we would be a discipling community that knows what it's like to have been forgiven and been shown great grace and to live a new life. And so we get to offer that to one another too. That we get to offer the reminder that there's a better way to live. There's an upside down kingdom that we are welcomed to enter. And God, at the same time, help us to be able to be wise with our kingdom impact, God, that we would never just let things go without giving them to you. God, but that as we give them to you, we would release ourselves from having to be the author and perfecter of everyone's faith because that's not our job. It's only yours. God, you never called us to that. You just called us to faithfulness. And so help us to be faithful. God, be with us this morning. Be with us throughout this week. God, that, that the words from your scripture would meditate in our hearts and that they would lead us into closer relationship with you and your people. In your name we pray. Amen.